up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 6 of the Our City Podcast. Second half is underway, under full swing for the Mets. And they're getting things off going with a series win in Miami after the win today. They won 2 of 3 against the Marlins. Now, they're heading into Minnesota for 2, then to San Francisco for 4, before they return home for their first homestand of the second half. So today's episode, we're going to talk about Marlins series. We're going to talk about Brody's press conference uh, after the first loss, which was game one of the second half. Also talk a little bit about Noah Syndergaard and some trade rumors that have been brought up. And then we'll end it with our MLB runaround. So to start, excuse me, with the series in Miami, Mets lose game one, eight to four, kind of a sucky way to lose. Vargas didn't have his best stuff. Went five innings, allowed six runs on five hits with one strikeout and one walk. Then Gesellman and Chris Mazza, who was just recalled from AAA, came in. They each allowed a run. The Marlins were able to tack up eight against the Mets. And the Mets were only able to score their four runs thanks to Wilson Ramos, who had a two-run single. And then Todd Frazier, sorry for that delay in my connection. I'm reading my stuff from my phone, and my connection is really slow right now. Then Todd Frazier had a two-run homer, his 12th of the year, to make it 8-4 was the final. Speaking of Chris Mazza, though, kind of a little side note before I continue on with Game 2. Uh, Chris Mazza was brought up because the Mets have DFA'd Wilmer Font which was kind of a surprising move, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But that's just a side note for you right there. Last night's game, Mets win, Mets win 4-2. to Syndergaard picked up the win. Diaz picked up his 20th save of the year. Conforto smacks his 17th homer. Cano his 5th. And that was, for those of you who watched the game, Cano's homer, I know at least for him, that was a big homer. He clobbered that one. And for a guy who's just hitting, whose average had just dipped under 240, that was a much needed home run for him. It was a two run shot, put the Met, it was tied at two, and then that two run shot would eventually give the Mets the lead and eventually the win. And then today, Cano was back at it again. Had four hits today, finished today four for five. He finished a triple shy of the cycle, had one RBI today. And all in all, it was a good series for the Mets. You know, Jacob DeGrom pitched today, pitched five innings, six strikeouts, three walks, one run, six hits allowed. Justin Wilson, Jairus Familia, Seth Lugo, and Robert Gesellman got the job done in the bullpen. No runs allowed, no damage. Hallelujah. Mets escaped Miami with a series win. A much needed, in my opinion, series win. And that was a much needed series for Cano. Who has he was hitting 238 going into the series? After the series, he's got it back up to 251, which still isn't Robbie Cano typical level. But you know what? If he's starting to turn things around, he homered again today too. So if he's starting to turn things around, I'm sure the Mets will take it. So the next thing I want to segue into is um, Brody's press conference after the Game One series. So Brody talked with the media before the, after the first loss of the series, talked about the status of the team, 
what they plan on doing going forward. And he admitted, you know, he was very confident coming into the year with saying that, you know, come get us to the National League East. And he said, quote, they came and got us. I mean, that's really all. That's all he can say. I mean, what considering that the Mets going into that before after during that press conference they were forty and fifty they were thirteen and a half back in the NL East and seven games back in the wild card race. He he admitted that yeah I talked up a big game and he said we're not where we want to be right now. But he also said they're not. He didn't full out say it, but he also indicated that they're still not going to give up. You know, they view them. He said they view themselves as the underdogs, and he likes their chance better being the underdog rather than being on top and having everybody chase you. So he did indicate also, without fully saying it, that the Mets will sell as a deadline, but not in a total teardown type way. So it'll kind of be like a fine tuning. Like I said in the last episode, that's what I think the Mets should do. It was more of a fine-tuning. Because of their expiring contracts, uh, Todd Frazier, Zach Wheeler, Jason Vargas are most likely to move, especially Zach Wheeler. Uh, Other names have been thrown about. DeGrom and Syndergaard have been brought up. But considering that it's not a contract year for them, Brody said, quote, I will fully expect those guys to stay on our roster. So he has no intention of trading DeGrom or Syndergaard, which is good. But he did say they're willing to move pieces that are have expiring contracts after this year, which again would be Vargas, Frazier, and Wheeler. Uh, the volume of interest he was I'm re- reading the bits from the article written for MLB.com by Christina DeNicola. Uh, she also included in her article that what Brody was saying about the interest te- with teams and their players up for grabs and they're getting a lot of interest and I'm assuming a lot of that interest is in on Zach Wheeler a lot of teams I've heard we've heard the Red Sox and Yankees are two teams that have been tied to them I've also heard the Braves and Twins brought up in some rumors a lot of teams out there looking for a controllable quality starter for their rotation that's what Wheeler brings he's going to strike out guys he's going to eat up innings for you he's any team would want a guy like Wheeler and if the Mets can turn a night I mean I personally would not trade him but I'm fully expecting the Mets to trade him so getting a good return for him would be key getting a not a great return for him would be key if the Mets could maybe get some bullpen help or if they could start restocking their farm system like we've mentioned before start building up some prospects I would totally not put that out of the realm of possibilities but in regards to Frazier and Vargas you're probably not going to get more than some depth pieces which all in all wouldn't be terrible for the Mets considering their injury history but well again it's we'll see it's a big we'll see I mean the Mets have a lot of optimism going in winning two out of three against the Marlins, but they're going to Minnesota now to face a tough Twins team. So if they could at least split that series with the Twins and then win at least three out of four against the Giants, maybe their mindset changes and maybe they become in the mindset of all-in in 2019 where it's World Series or bust. 
again, though, it's going to be tough to see what the Mets are willing to do come the trade deadline. He was also asked about Mickey Callaway being the manager the rest of the season. He said, absolutely. So Mickey is going to be here. His players speak very highly of him. No player has said anything bad about him. So I fully anticipate he will be the manager, not only just for the rest of this year, but in the future. He was also asked um, for updates, for injury updates on Nimmo and Jed Lowry. So we'll start with Nimmo. Nimmo, as some of you may have known, he got a 30-day shutdown because of his stiff neck injury. 30-day shutdown, which expires July 18th, which let me check here. I believe it's Thursday. Yes, Thursday he will be eligible to start uh, revamping his baseball activities. He's been doing some light running and some loosening up, playing catch, according to the Mets. He's been out since late May with this injury. So if the Mets can get him back, in terms of the outfield, it's not a big deal that he's not back. So if in the outfield right now, you usually are having Dom Smith or J.D. Davis, but for the most part, Dom Smith in left, Conforto in center, and McNeil in right. McNeil is fine. He's taken the transition to out the outfield very well. Conforto, though, does not, from what I've seen, does not look comfortable in center field. But again, with Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil, who aren't natural outfielders on his sides, he's the only one with outfield experience. So uh, we've heard Ahmed Rosario taking fly balls in center. So a lot of, they don't really have anyone in center at the moment. But if Nimmo were to come back, that would help the Mets out and produce like he did last year. That would help the Mets out a lot, considering they could have a true center fielder out in center, put Conforto back in his natural spot in right, and then McNeil in left field. And that way, the Mets defense, even though it hasn't been great this year, the Mets defense won't be as bad. With that would be ideally that'd be your best outfield. So it's um it's a question of will Nimmo come back and if Nimmo comes back and isn't producing. With the year Dom Smith's having, you got to keep Dom Smith in the lineup too. So it should be interesting to how, see how all of that plays out. But in terms of Jed Lowry, yet to make his Mets debut, when the Mets signed him, it was huge. It was almost a guarantee that Todd Frazier was going to be traded or serve as a bench player and Jed Lowry was going to play third. That has not panned out. He's on the 60-day DL right now because of a left knee capsule sprain before the season began. Right now he's not doing anything. His whole left side, he started rehabbing and then he had a setback. Then he started getting back going again and he's got a low grade calf strain in his right side. So it goes so he has a knee injury then he goes rehabbing and then he's got a left side issue and then he starts getting good again, and now he's got a calf strain on his right side. So they still the Mets still anticipate him to play this year. I hope he does because I want to see what Jed Lowry can do as a Met. Uh, but again, with him, it doesn't seem likely. I would anticipate him being back at the earliest, early August. If we're being realistic, if he is back to play this year, I don't see him coming back earlier than early August, considering the 
this is now his third injury to deal with this year. So, a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, it's really, we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's a lot of we'll see. I know I keep saying it, but it really is a we'll see type thing. So, what the Mets will do with the deadline. If Jed Lowry, if Brandon Nimmo comes back and produces like last year, if Jed Lowry is able to play this year, it's all we'll see. You know, you can have people speculating all you want, but you never really know until it happens. You know, so we're going to tra now transition. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more just for a brief moment about the whole um, Wilmer Font being DFA'd. Kind of a surprising but expecting move by the Mets. Font posted a 4.94 ERA in 31 innings with the Mets. Chris Mazza will take over his spot in the bullpen. Mazza, as some of you know, came up. Wasn't up very long, uh, and he did fairly well. I thought he did fairly well. Yeah, he pitched, I believe it was four innings or so in his Major League debut. He ate up some innings to save time from the bullpen uh, against the Yankees during the 1969 weekend. And he allowed a run to score in that debut in the third, but held the Braves off the board. The for the rest of his outing. Struck out two, allowed five hits, and did not allow a walk. So Mazza, though he hasn't been up a lot, he hasn't been up for a long time, he could serve to be a very key piece. He finally is getting his shot. But with Wilmer Font, he had a, a just a not great... I mean, he didn't pitch awful for the Mets. He ate up innings, but, you know, he's kind of the oddball in that bullpen. So... It was one of those things that just, that's just a baseball issue. That's just a baseball thing that happens. And obviously, we wish Wilmer Font the best of luck wherever he does end up. Also, the in other roster moves, the Mets have fully released Matt Kemp after he's been out after playing not very long with Syracuse because of a broken rib. And the Mets released him. And when the Mets. Uh, also, DFA'd Carlos Gomez. And Gomez elected free agency. So he is also no longer with the Mets. So we also wish both of those two best of luck in finishing out their careers. And hopes they can find somewhere else to continue playing. I know I was kind of upset to see Matt Kemp get released. I wanted to see what he could do. But, consider, but where this team is and what they have, I just didn't see him also finding any playing time so you know what happens also uh kind of jumping up you got so many uh guys going in and out uh kirk neuenheis uh former matt he was with the long island ducks in the independent leagues officially announced his retirement from major league baseball uh for those of you who don't know kirk neuenheis uh had his moments he was the first met to have a three homer game at home he also had that huge home run go-ahead homer against the Nationals back in 2015, right in the midst of the Mets' magical run to October. So uh, I had to add another person to that list, we also wish him the best of luck in his retirement. So we're going to touch a little bit now on the trade rumors with Noah Syndergaard. So Noah Syndergaard's name has been brought up in some rumors, and 
he does not want to be traded. Uh, the, his he said he um, quote I love being a Met. So with that, when I hear a guy say that, the full quote is, once this loads, here it is. He says, as of right now, I love being a Met. If something were to ever change, it would definitely be bittersweet just because New York City itself, the fan base, and just the guys in the clubhouse have a special place in my heart. If I'm hearing one of my players say that as a GM, I, no matter what the return is, I don't know if I want to trade him. You know, I think the Mets won't trade him, but they're certainly going to get offers for him, and I would... And if you have, I mean, if you got a guy like that that wants to be there, that wants to win there, you gotta love it. I mean, Jeff McNeil and Don Smith are like that. They they will play anywhere. They will pitch, catch, whatever they gotta do, as long as they can help the team win. And Syndergaard sounds like he's just like that. He just wants the team. Will do whatever it takes to help the team win. So hopefully the Mets can keep Syndergaard uh, in the rotation in their future plans. I fully anticipate that, but you know, in the game of baseball, a lot of things happen that you don't want to or that you don't expect. It's just a bunch of craziness along the way. So now we're going to transition into our final segment of today, our MLB wrap-up. A little bit to talk about. First of all, trade season is underway. Andrew Kashner of the Orioles was dealt to the Boston Red Sox which was kind of a surprise not it was kind of surprising in terms of no I didn't really anticipate him uh, being traded to Boston but so the Red Sox sent or got Andrew Kashner and they sent Baltimore minor leaguers I apologize if I butcher these names Elio Prado and Noberth Romero so two minor leaguers that the Baltimore Baltimore Orioles are getting. Andrew Kashner will serve as the fifth starter for Baltimore, or excuse me, for Boston. With Nathan Eovaldi coming back from injury, the Red Sox announced they were going to put him as the closer after missing out on Kimbrell. So, excuse me, um, Kashner will fill out that starting spot nice as they look to make a push for October. Also, earlier today, the Royals traded off Homer Bailey to the Oakland A's. Oakland, under the radar, makes very good acquisitions. Uh, he's posted his highest strikeout rate in a long time. Since 2014, for a fact, is he's had his highest strikeout rate. He had a 3.48 ERA in June and so far has a 3.6 ERA in July. He was scratched from the game before today's start even though he was set to pitch day, but because of the trade, he was sent, uh, or because of the trade, he was being shipped off to Oakland instead of starting today. Uh, in exchange, the Royals received Kevin Merrill, who is an uh, infielder at the AA level, is currently slashing 246, 292, 339, and can run, according to scouts, can run like a deer. So, nice prospect for uh, Kansas City. And a great starter for the A's to pick up. One, um, and those are just the first two moves as we inch closer and closer. A little over two weeks now from the trade deadline. I want to touch on also briefly before we, we're going to talk about Tyler Skaggs and the Angels in a second. But before we get to that, the Rays with their opener style 
almost threw a perfect game today. A combined perfect game, that is. They were three outs away before Baltimore broke it up. It would have been the first combined perfect game in Major League history. Boy, would have that have been something cool to see. And I'm... As much as I really don't understand the concept of the opener, the fact that you're that they were almost able to pull a perfect game out of it was unbelievable. It would have been awesome to see. But you know, baseball happens and you know with the jinxes and all that. It just wasn't meant to be, I guess. So, the uh, first game back for the Angels was in LA and they honored Tyler Skaggs his mom threw out the first pitch they all wore number 45 on their jerseys and the Angels threw a combined no hitter it was the 11th no hitter in Angels history the first since Jared Weaver back in 2012 <clears throat> excuse me Taylor Cole started the game through the first two innings and then Felix Pena came in and struck out eight bat. They combined to struck out eight batters and issue only one walk when Pena came in to finish off the final seven innings. They combined for the first. This is where it starts getting freaky, but a good freaky, I should say. They contributed the first combined no hitter in the state of California since the Baltimore Orioles did it against the A's on July 13, 1991. That was the day that Tyler Skaggs was born. Mike Trout homered in the first inning of this game. His home run was 454 feet. Forwards and backwards, that is number 45, which was Tyler Skaggs' number. That was the 11th no-hitter in Angels history. Tyler Skaggs' number in high school was number 11. So, it was unbelievable to see some of those events happening. And also, the Angels scored seven runs in the first inning, 13 total. Seven slash 13 is his birthday. So they threw this about, the final pitch was thrown about two hours or so before midnight in L.A., so just shy of his birthday. His mom threw out the first pitch. After the game, they celebrated the no-hitter. They all took off their jerseys, and it was very emotional and it's just one of those reasons why we love the game of baseball. Take they took off their jerseys and they put it on the pitcher's mound, surrounding the pitcher's mound. And it was just watching the video of that. I was asleep obviously because it was a West Coast game, so when I woke up I was watching all the video from it and just watching that was really emotional and really cool to see. It, we saw it back in twenty sixteen uh, with D. Gordon, you know, after the Jose Fernandez death, and then D. Gordon homers in the first at bat, and then you see the no hitter with Tyler Skaggs. It's just unbelievable how baseball is sometimes. You know, it's it was so awesome to see them throw that for Tyler. I know the players were very emotional about it. Uh, it was. I just. I'm lost for words. I really am. You know, when you see something like that happen, it's one of the coolest things ever. I mean, even the Mariners tweeted out, like, tips. we tip our caps to you. You can't even be mad. With those circumstances and for them to go out there and do it like that, the Angels, that is, it was 
something special. It really was. So we're that's just gonna about do it for episode six of the Our City podcast. We're gonna back on our weekly schedule now that the second half is under full swing. We'll have the recap of the Mets road trip next week's in next week's episode and a little preview for their upcoming homestand. And maybe we'll see some more trades being made now that two of two big trades have already been made with Homer Bailey going to Oakland and with Andrew Kashner going to Boston. We will see who else is getting in on the early trade get up. So make sure you're liking, commenting, subscribing, all that good stuff down below. Make sure you're following us on social media and all those links will be attached in the description below. Tell your friends about us. Let us know your thoughts. If you have a topic you want to bring up, want us to talk about, just put it in the comment section below and we'll talk to it. We'll answer every question, every comment you guys have. Thank you for tuning in for episode 6 of the RCD Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let's go Mets.